Brennan. Thank you, Brennan. Yeah, it's always a great opportunity to be able to give. Amen. And so we want to encourage you to do that and uh, and be a part of the giving wall and be the gift this uh, this time of year. Just so you know, uh, the city of Tinley Park has asked me if next year they can do our giving wall for the city. And I said, we don't have any corner on the idea. <laughs> and so next year, the city of Tinley Park is going to take our idea, set it up at City Hall, set up a tree, and try and encourage the residents of Tinley Park to be the gift next Christmas season. Is that an amen or what, huh? That's pretty awesome. So we're excited to be able to be a blessing to our different cities around us as well. Well, it's also a blessing I get to dedicate my, one of my grandkids today. I've, I think I've done them all now, so Declan's the newest one, and, and if you re, are reminded that, you know, we dedicate children here at Christian Hills because, you know, people brought the kids to, G, to Jesus, and he prayed on them, and he blessed them, and, and we want to do the same for our kids, and if you have children that you'd like to dedicate the Lord, uh, please contact us. We'd love to be able to do that for you. But it tells us in Scripture, in Proverbs 22, 6, train a child in the way he or she should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. There's a promise, that's a promise, by the way, a promise in Scripture that if you raise your kids in accordance with the teachings of the Word of God, the Bible, teach them the value of the church of Jesus Christ, that they're not going to be sucked away by the world. Can I hear an amen to that? And we stand on that promise and believe that promise, and so that's why we dedicate our children. We are actually making a covenant with God as, a, as parents. We make a covenant with God that this child belongs to him and that he can use our child to make an impact for the kingdom of heaven. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, which talks about the process of teaching and raising our children this. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you. Now Moses is kind of saying this. To observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, so that your children and their children after them may do what? They may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey, so that it may go well with you, and that you may increasingly, uh, increasingly great, greatly flow in a land with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then listen to what it says there in verse 7. Impress them on your children. In other words, we have a responsibility to impress on our children the ways, the teachings, and the commands of the Lord. Talk about them when you sit at home. I think it's a great time to talk about them when you're at the dinner table or talk about them when you're driving in the car, especially when you get them in the car because they, they can't run away, amen? Yeah, it was interesting when, I, when, we, when we were doing this, Tiffany, our most inquisitive child, would used to make lists. I am not kidding. She would literally make lists, questions to ask dad when we get in the car, especially when we were taking trips. And I remember one time there was a list of like 30 or 40 things because I kind of looked at her list and like, oh my goodness, what have you been? She's been writing them all down. And then she'd ask me these questions, you know. So, hey, 
It's a great time. Impress on your kids the value of Jesus Christ, the value of following God, the value of the Word of God, and the value of the church of Jesus Christ. It says do it when you walk along the road or when you drive along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. You should have pictures. You should have things around your house which talk about how you love the Lord your God, how you love Him with your whole heart mind and soul, and then we need to implant that into our kids. Amen? So I'm going to ask Declan to bring up his parents, and I know we have some grandparents here today too. They're welcome to come up as well, because we know that it says in Ephesians 6, 4, that when we bring up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they're going to follow Him. They're going to come back to Him, or, you know, the devil's going to try and get Him, but when we put our kids in the hands of God, we trust and believe God is going to take care of them. And then my reference to why we dedicate our children is found in Mark chapter 10, verse 13 to 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and he blessed them. And that's what we're going to do. Amen? So Ashley and Vernon, we've been here before. Deja vu. (laughs) Declan is their third child, of course, and my sixth grandchild, if you're counting. Most of you may not be, but I am. Amen? And so throughout the ages, godly parents have presented their children to the Lord in dedication. So you guys are following a great lineage of individuals who have done this. Abraham dedicated Isaac to God in Genesis 22. Hannah dedicated her child Samuel to the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And Joseph and Mary brought the infant child Jesus to the temple uh, following his circumcision at eight days, and they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So you're following a great lineage of some heroes of the faith who have done exactly what you guys are doing today. So you and Ashley are, are presenting Declan to the Lord, and, can, and he's, he's got a little smile. He's kind of excited. He says, that's my papa there. <laughs> And this belief parallels what Psalm 127 states. Sons and daughters are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from Him. And this means that you also believe that the Lord will hold you accountable for raising Declan in the ways of the Lord. So you're making a commitment with each other, with Declan, and with the Lord Almighty uh, that Declan belongs to Him to use for the kingdom. Amen? So I have a few charges I'd like to read for you, and after each charge, you can nod that you agree to the charge, and at the end of the eight charges, then if you could respond, we will, okay? So here's our charges that we charge you with. Do you solemnly commit to dedicate Declan to the Lord and to his service? Will you pray for him daily? Will you faithfully instruct instruct him in the ways of the Lord? Will you faithfully teach him through your lives what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Will you teach him to read the Word of God? Will you teach him how to pray and how to live a holy life? Will you faithfully take him to the house of worship and show him the value of the church of Jesus Christ? And then will you do everything within your power to bring him to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the Savior and Lord? Then your response is, amen. Amen. So I'm going to ask the church to stand up because, you know, 
Uh, I've said it before here, especially in dedication, not only does Ashley and Vernon have a responsibility to raise Declan in accordance with the Word of God, but the church plays an important role in this whole thing too. Some of you will have Declan and, and kids' church or in youth group or whatever it may be, and so there's a charge to all of us to be a part of helping him to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. So for the church, I got four charges for you, and then at the end of the four charge, if you will respond with, we will. Will you faithfully pray for Declan as he grows and matures in the Lord? Number two, will you be willing to instruct Declan in the teaching of the Word with your lives? Number three, will you help teach him the Word of God? And then lastly, will you commit to be living examples of what it means to be a Christian to this young life, and then the church's response is, amen. amen. Well, let's pray for Declan, amen. If you can extend your hands this way, we're going to pray for our little guy. I'm shocked Grandma's not holding him, but. <laughs> Lord, I dedicate to you Declan, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this precious little life. Lord, I pray that you would raise him up to be a faithful servant for you within the kingdom of heaven. I pray that you would use him mightily, Lord. Lord, I even pray you call him to be a preacher or a pastor, Lord, or, or some minister of you in the gospel, Lord. And Lord, we look to you, and, and we just ask that you would just use him mightily within the kingdom, Lord. May this young life be nurtured under the gracious influence of your Holy Spirit. May you protect him physically and deliver him from temptation. May you, Lord Jesus, call to him, and may he respond to you at a young age as he gives his life to you and surrenders it to you, and that he grows up loving you with his whole heart, mind, and soul, and all of his strength. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' holy name, and everybody said amen. 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 All right, let's give a round of applause for them. There you go. There's your, you got that, Emerson? Way to go, buddy. You want to carry that, Harlow? Okay. All right. All right. Once again, all right, let's give them a round of applause. Amen. Well, as we continue in our series, Promises, how many know uh, Vernon preached last week? Didn't he do a great job, amen, kicking us off on the Promises? I also want to thank everybody that helped us out with the Christmas program. We packed the house out Thursday night, Friday night, and, it, and you know, I had a lot of people come up and say, they think it was one of our best Christmas programs, by the way. Uh, Jamonica Disser, if you see her, congratulate her. She wrote the program, Wave Jamonica. It was an awesome program that really put the message out there what Christmas is all about. So staying on this line of promises, I got a little video for you, and then I'll come back and share the word with you.
Now I'm on. Oh, thank you, Brandon. I was thinking, I'm not hearing any feedback, but maybe I'm in the zone, right? I was in the spiritual zone. Okay, there we go. Now you can hear me. All right. <laughs> All right, so we're looking at finding joy through the promises. This is kind of going to be our main text for the rest of December, and we're going to be pulling thoughts and stuff out of there. Uh, but, I, but I want to come back to just the idea of thinking about the promises of God. And, and like I said, you know, the question could be asked, what are the promises of God? You know, and I could basically preach over 8,000 sermons on the promises of God because there's that many promises in Scripture. Amen? So if I started preaching 8,000 sermons, it would take me quite a while to get there, wouldn't it? It would be many, many years of preaching, but there are many, many promises of God in Scripture. Each promise, God pledges that something will or will not be done or given or come to pass. These are not flippant, casual promises such as we often make. Many today make promises that they actually break. But these promises of God are rock-solid, unequivocal commitments made by God himself. Because God is faithful, the recipients of the divine promise can have full assurance that God has pledged and will indeed be realized. And so if you really dig deep into Scripture and you really take a look at it, according to one scholar, there's 8,810 promises that are found in the entire Bible. Can I, can I hear a word to say, wow, that's a lot of promises. And here's the best part. All those promises are for the believer. Therefore, you and I as believers, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, are promised by God, who, by the way, doesn't break his promises, 8,810 things that we get as believers. And, and, you know, and you can go research them out through Scripture. There's 7,706, according to this scholar in the Old Testament. There's 1,104 of these in the New Testament. By the way, if you really want to read about promises, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Just in the Deuteronomy chapter 28, that one chapter, 133 promises are in that chapter. So if you want a good reading task this week, read Deuteronomy chapter 28. You will discover 133 promises in that chapter alone. William Carey said this about the whole idea of promises. He says, the future is as bright as the promises of God. He says, but he says one of the problems we have in our society is we have a tendency to focus on our problems and not the promises. Would you agree with that? People have a tendency to focus on all the problems, everything that's wrong, all the negativity, and they never focus on all the positive things God says about us and to us and for us in his promises. And therefore, we have a negative or pessimistic outlook on life rather than a positive outlook on life. And so we, we really need, if we want to find joy in the journey of life today, we need to focus on the promises and not the problems. I don't know about you, but I know why people focus on the problems today, because we live in a world that is filled with brokenness. Would you agree with me? I mean, we just live in a world that broken promise upon broken promise upon broken promise upon broken promise. Just think about it. Think of marriages. By the way, the most common broken promise of all time is this one. I will always love you. And we know, according to statistics, that... 50% of the time, that one is broken. Can, would you agree? 50% of the time, that one is broken. And they break that promise. 
And, and there's other ones, though, like you get promises at work that you're going to get a bonus at Christmas time that doesn't come. That you're going to get the raise that never comes. That, you know, uh, the promotion is just around the corner, but the promotion never comes. And then you can think of people's words, like when they sign contracts, or they promise they're going to help you, or they promise they're going to do this for you, but then they never do it. They say they're going to do it, but they never do it. They say they're going to go out to a movie with you, but they never show up. Or they say they want to have dinner with you, but they never take you out to dinner. There's so many broken promises in life, and we see people breaking promises to organizations, to uh, places of employment, to churches, to schools, and you can just go on down the line and see all the broken promises. Think of the people ripped off by repair people or contractors who break their promise or contract. Think of insurance companies not following their promise or their contract. People ripping off insurance companies that take advantage of insurance companies, breaking their promise. Healthcare issues, healthcare fraud, you can throw that out there. Fake warranties, or how about the many marketing scams you see out there? I think I at least get three or four emails a week for somebody in Africa who, who says I want a bunch of money, and then if I give them my numbers to my bank account, they're putting it in my bank account. Yeah, right. I wasn't born yesterday, amen? But it's scam upon scam we see happening, and we see broken promises all around us. And, and you know, and, you know, can I even say it? Yeah, I'm going to say, what about politicians? Oh, my goodness, how many broken promises with politicians when they're running to be elected for office? And then when they get into office, they, they break their promises. Just look around. How about, let's look at a few presidents. Who were some of the worst presidents? Woodrow Wilson, number one, topped on the list of what I found. He was elected in 1916 with the slogan, I will keep us out of the war. And that was World War I, by the way, only to enter the war one year later. He broke his promise. They say he was probably uh, the president that broke his word the most. Lyndon B. Johnson promised in 1964 we are not about to send American boys nine to 10,000 miles away from home to do what Asian boys ought to be doing for themselves. And so he promised to keep the United States out of the war in Vietnam, but then one year later, what did he do? He got us into Vietnam. Richard Nixon in 1968 claimed to have a secret plan to end the war, and he promised to find a way to end the war Peace with honor, he said, in Vietnam. But American troops were not withdrawn until 1973, a little more than a year after Nixon ended up resigning. Jimmy Carter campaigned on solving the energy crisis, but his speeches about conservation and attempts to add solar panels to the roof of the White House weren't good enough. He was unable to get support for a gas tax, and the energy problem only worsened during his presidency, so he didn't fulfill his promise at all. How about George W. Bush's famous promise, 1988? Anybody remember that one? Read my lips, no new taxes. Remember that one? Only to sign a bill raising taxes during his first and only term. Or how about Bill Clinton campaign on a renovation of the health care system before he took office in 1993? Although he attempted health care reform, it ended in failure. Or how about, you know, uh, Barack Obama, it said, he, he gave, and this is from the uh, political fact, he gave 533 promises when he ran for office, 533, 
And, and he only fulfilled 48% of those 533 promises. So we can look at presidents throughout history and see in politicians, you can look at governors or representatives or senators or whatever, and we find that we live in a world with broken promises. So no wonder we focus on the problem more than the promise, amen? Because we kind of have this tendency to believe that if we hear a promise, especially from a politician or someone, we kind of take it with a grain of salt because we kind of expect them to break their promise, don't we? He's really not going to do that. He's saying that just to get elected, but he's really not going to do that. But is that right? Should we have that kind of attitude? Shouldn't we expect people to keep their word? Shouldn't we expect people to keep their promises? You know, when I do a marriage, I tell the people very clearly up here, you're making a covenant between each other and with God. And this is a serious covenant that you're making. And you're making a promise to each other and a promise to God that you're going to do this till death do you part. Sad to say, I've had people I married get divorced. And, and, and it's sad because if we keep a hold of our promises, I think we live in a better world. We would have a better world if we keep our promises. Would you say amen to that? You know, promises have been broken through history, too. It's just not a modern issue. The kings of Italy and Bohemia both promised safe transport and safe custody to the great pre-Reformation or Bohemian reformer, John Huss. Both of them signed papers saying they will give him safe travel, they will give him his protection, and as soon as he went and did it, they arrested him, and later they basically burned him at the stake. Their promise meant nothing. See, the word promise is defined for us as this. A declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. What happened to all those firm promises of support? It's so when someone says, I'm going to support you, I'm going to be there to help you move, I'm going to take you out to dinner, they literally do it. A promise is meant not to be broken. We're not to break our promises. And I want you to know that when you discover the promises of God, God will never, ever, ever, ever break one of his promises. Never. He never has, by the way. He has never broken a promise. He never will break a promise. If it's in Scripture and he said it and he's going to do it, guess what? God's going to do it. You know, I look back and some people like Bill McCartney, he retired as the head coach of the Colorado football team several years ago. His reason for retirement was not because he was an unsuccessful coach. As a matter of fact, his teams had won the national championship. They had been in the top ten many times. But McCartney said that he was retiring because he made a promise to his wife that he would do everything in his power the rest of his life to be there for her and for the family, and he couldn't do that as a full-time coach. And then as a result of that, he started what? Anybody know? Promise Keepers challenging the men of today to also be promise keepers, that when you make a promise, you keep your promise. And Bill McCartney never went back on his word. He never went back to coaching. He stayed focused on keeping his promise to his wife. C.S. Lewis, in his biography, 
that I was reading talked about how he suffered immensely because he made a promise to one of his soldier friends in the battle of World War I, I believe it was. And during the war, he, he made his, his friend got wounded and he basically had his friend in his arms and his friend said to him, he said, you know, you know CS, can you promise me that you will always take care of my, my wife and my one daughter? And C.S. Lewis said, yes, I'll do that. And then his friend died in his arms. C.S. Lewis took that promise very seriously. As a matter of fact, he wrote that, uh, you know, that he assured his friend that he would keep his promise. And as, as the word came to pass and he came back from the war, he went over to help his wife and to help this daughter. But he didn't know that the woman of this man who was his best friend was totally ungrateful. She was totally rude. She was totally arrogant. She was totally domineering. And yet... All the years afterwards, he would still help her, continue to help her, never getting thanked, never getting appreciation for what he was doing. She would always mock him, try and dominate him. And long story short, C.S. Lewis says, I didn't even like her. But I made a promise to my friend who died in my arms that I would never break my promise. And it didn't matter what her action was or what she did. I was going to fulfill my promise. And he did it all the way up until the day that he passed away. Now, that's why I say promises are not meant to be broken, by the way. You know, as you look at our scripture text, there's God's promises are never broken promises. God promises never to change or reverse a promise. That if he says that he's going to do it, and we're going to talk about the other two points in a moment, but I got one more story for you. Anybody seen this movie? It could happen to you. Anybody ever seen a movie? Raise your hand. All right, some of you have. Well, by the way, the movie is based off a true encounter that actually happened in New York City. As a matter of fact, the movie is based off of the situation in 1984 where Phyllis Penzo was a waitress at a pizzeria commonly infrequented by Yonkers, New York police officers. In March of that year, Officer Robert Cunningham, a regular patron and longtime friend of Penzo, suggested that the two of them split his new lottery ticket because he didn't have money to leave a tip. And a few weeks went by, and he never paid attention to his lottery ticket. And then a few weeks later, he realized that he had actually won $6 million. And then he remembered his promise to the waitress at the pizzeria that he would split the ticket. Now, think about this. $6 million. He bought the ticket. How many today would follow their promise that he made to this person to split that ticket for a tip? But you know what? He was a man of honor, a man of integrity. He, and, he, and he was an officer who would keep his word. So he went back to Penzo at the restaurant one day, and he walked up to her and he said, I promised you that if I won any money, we would split the profits. And he says, I just want you to know I won $6 million, and $3 million is yours. And then they wrote the movie. No, they did. That's what the movie's based off of. Now, the movie doesn't follow the theme of their life because, long story short, is that both of them got their $3 million. Cunningham's wife did not divorce him and take all the money and all that kind of stuff like the movie shows. But the reality is, he kept his promise. 
And I, and I want you to know, keeping promises is hard. Would you say amen to that? It's tough, it's, and I know it's a tough business, but with God, nothing's tough. He's going to keep his word. He's going to keep his promise, and, and we need to keep our word, and we need to keep our promise, you know, and, and we need to understand that God will never make a promise that was too good to be true. Every one of his promises are true. Every one of his promises in Scripture will be fulfilled. And, and you may be starting to think, well, Pastor Mike, what are some of those promises that you keep talking about? Well, in the promise, the Bible that I was talking about here that's right in front of me, their, their Bible is kind of, it's, it's the contemporary English version but this, this, this certain book, the way they did the promises, they highlight a lot of the promises that are in Scripture so that when you get to that passage of Scripture, you see, oh, that's a promise of God. And so some of the ones that they highlight, and they highlight you know, quite a few. They don't highlight all of them, but they highlight quite a few. And here's some of the promises you will discover if you read through the book, the promise. God has great plans for you, Genesis 41. God hears your cry, Numbers 12.1. God's promise is forever, Isaiah 54.10. God will never desert you, Hosea 11.6. God is with you, Matthew 1.18-25. God protects you, Matthew 2.12. God promises you mercy, Titus 3.4. God gives you comfort, John 14.15-17. God empowers you, Acts 21-42. Those are just a few of the promises. Maybe we need to rediscover the promises of God, right? Because if we rediscover the promises of God, we're not going to focus on our problems. Because if we know the promise, the problem doesn't look like it's going to be an issue. Because if I have the promise of God, the problem's already taken care of. But see, we have to believe God is who he says he is, and God will do what he says he will do. Do you believe? That's the question. How well do you believe? Do you really love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, and soul, and all of your strength, that you do believe his promises? Or do you let the devil snatch away the promises? Because he whispers in your ear, you remember? Like, God doesn't love you. God won't take care of you. God won't provide for you. God's deserted you. God's left you alone. Your, your son or daughter's never going to come back to God. Your son and daughter's totally lost. There's no hope. And then and the Lord comes back and says, oh, yes, there is. Because I made promises. And so we need to be reminded, don't listen to the devil, listen to the promises, amen? Because when you start listening to the promises and you stand on them and you claim them for your own, because they are for the believer, you're going to get blessed. You're going to get encouraged. You're going to be uplifted. You're not going to be downtrodden. You're not going to give up hope. You're not going to quit praying. You're going to keep praying. You're going to keep fasting. You're going to keep interceding because God hears your prayers. That's a promise. And God will respond. See, he is absolutely trustworthy. He is unchanging. He has the power and the will to fulfill his promises. Now, come on. If, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, can he fulfill your promise that he made to you? If God can manipulate the world and create the world, don't you think he has the power to fulfill his promises? I mean, he created it all. All he's got to do is speak it into existence. He is faithful in keeping all his promises. And you can read that in, in places like Hebrews 10.23. His promises stem from his goodness and his mercy and his grace. And it's revealed. Where was it revealed? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever should believe on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's all wrapped up in that verse. 
That's what we learned at our Christmas program this week. God may confirm his promises with an oath. By the way, if you look in Scripture, you can see places, individuals, where God gave people promises, and he fulfilled those promises. You can go back in Genesis 9 and see it with Noah. You can go back with Abraham in Genesis 15 all the way through 17 and see it with him. You can go back and see it with Isaac in Genesis 26. You can see it with Jacob in Genesis 28, 13 to 15. You can see it with Moses and the Israelites. You can see it with David and with Jeremiah. And I can keep going down the list, but you can see God makes promises and he's kept every one of those promises. Even when it didn't look like he could keep his promise, God always kept his promise because he's faithful. He's solid. He's not changing. He's not taking his promises back. And there's no promise that is too good to be true. Can I get an amen to that? Let's look at our other thought here. Not only are there promises never broken by the Lord, but the second point here is God promises and his promises are tied in link with Jesus Christ. Now, we get the blessing of all the promises that are found in the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled a lot of the promises of the Old Testament, probably about 1,000 or so of them. There's over 7,000 of them. But Jesus fulfilled them, and then Jesus himself came along, as it says in John chapter 1, God in the flesh. He was with God in the beginning of creation. We know he's, he's God in front of us. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen God the Father. And he came and he made a bunch of promises throughout the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, for the believers, for those who follow after the Lord with their whole heart, mind, and soul. And it's important if you're a believer that you're faithful to God, amen, that you persevere and you stay committed to him, even through the thick and thin. Because his promises will break through, they will come through, you will see the breakthrough that you're looking for. God's promises are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ brings superior promises through the new covenant, it says in Hebrews chapter 8, 6 through 8. Jesus mediates a covenant of inner transformation, willing obedience, intimate relationship with God, and forgiveness of sins forever. You can see Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, Hebrews 7, 22, Hebrews 11, 13 on, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 4, our verse that we looked at as we kicked off this thought for this morning. But what are some particular promises of God in Christ? Let me just remind you of them. How about the gift of the Holy Spirit? That's a pretty big promise. The Lord says, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that will teach you, lead you, guide you. He will empower you to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit, word of knowledge, prophecy, healing. You can go down the list. But it is a promise. The Holy Spirit is your promise. It is for you. And can I say this? He's for you. Have you embraced that promise of the Holy Spirit? How about another promise? How about the fullness of life and eternal life? 2 Timothy 1.1, Hebrews 12, 26 to 28. How about that we get to participate in the resurrection, John 5.29, John 11, 25 through 26, that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, he promises us that we too get to be part of that same resurrection from the dead at the end of our lives. That's quite a promise, isn't it? That's a pretty amazing promise if you think about it. Or, or here's another one. How about this? That uh, the Holy Spirit not only is for us, but the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of us. That we will be the temple of the Holy Spirit. That he would be with us, never leave us, forsake us, or desert us. How about this promise? How about the forgiveness of sins? First John 1, 9. I think that's a big one. 
That's a promise that our sins are forgiven when we ask for them to be forgiven and we repent. How about this one? How about the presence of God? That's a promise that God will send his presence. I don't know about you, but I felt the presence of God in our worship service today. Did you? He was here to minister to us. We just need to open up. It's a promise for us. How about the peace of God? I mean, we talk about love, joy, and peace at this time of the year. People are looking for peace in the world. God promises you peace. It is one of his promises found for us in 1 Chronicles 22.9, Psalm 85.8, many others. Or how about joy in God? Remember what we've been talking about. Psalm 16.11, Psalm 132.16, John 16.20-24. You know, let me read them for you because that's our theme this year. It's a promise. Our theme is a promise of God. Psalm 16.11. You have shown me the path to life, and you make me glad by being near to me. Sitting at your right side, I will always be joyful when I'm sitting at your right side. How about Psalm 132.16? Victory will be like robes for the priests, and its faithful people will celebrate and shout with joy. Promise of Scripture. When we're connected with God, when we're connected with Jesus Christ, connected with the Holy Spirit, we get all these promises, and they should give us joy. They should give us the ability to look over our problems and see the promise. They should give us the ability to say, the problem's not a problem because God is greater than any problem, and I claim the promise. Amen? Are you claiming God's promises today? Or are you just focused on the problems? And you can read John 16, 20 to 24 if you get some time, but it's another one that's really good about this. Or how about this promise? The promise of the power of Jesus Christ in this life we live. Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a, that's a great promise. I get the promise that no matter what I do for the Lord or what I'm facing in life, I can get the strength from Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, healed people, calmed the storms, did all these miracles. I can get the strength to get through it from him. That's a great promise. I just don't know if we always realize we have that promise. How about Psalm 512? Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Another promise. God promises to surround us with his, with his shield around us. And let's look at my last thought here. God promises must be believed in to be received. That's what I've been pressing you toward this morning. Is that do you really believe in the promises of God? If you really believe in the promises of God, you will find joy in the journey of life. And I don't care if you go through trials or tribulations. I don't care if you go through the loss of a loved one. If you go through grief, whatever it may be. If you really stand on the promises of God, they will give you the strength to press through. Amen? They will give you the strength to not give up. They will give you the strength to see light at the end of the tunnel. And I want to go back and read the second Peter for you, chapter 1, verse 3 through 4 in the NIV version. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now go back. His divine power has given us what? Just some things. Is that what it says? His divine power is just give me a few of the stuff you really need. You need to do the rest on your own. Does it say that? His divine power has given us 
everything. Then it goes on in verse 4. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature of God and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, here's the best part. If you start embracing and grabbing a hold of and claiming the promises, guess what happens? You get to participate in the divine nature of God because he's going to do miracles. How many want to participate in the divine nature of God? If you don't, Come up front, I'll pray for you. (laughs) Right? Who doesn't want to participate with God, right? And have his divine nature kind of working things out in our life for us, right? Amen. So as we kind of wrap up today, what do we really need to know? What do we need to know? Well, I believe we need to claim the promises of God. How many are with me? You're going to claim the promises. Amen. So I want you to read Psalm 103 this week. And read through Psalm 103 and look at all the promises that are there. Claim them for your own. Go read uh, my text in Deuteronomy 2 that I was telling you about. Read that text and find all the promises that are there as well. I just encourage you, don't, don't miss out because, man, there's so many promises in Scripture that we need to claim them. But if you don't know them, right, how are you going to claim them? That's why it's so important for us to know the Bible. That's why it's so important for us to read the Bible. That's why it's so important for us to come to church. That's why it's so important to be involved in Bible study. It's why it's so important to have your kids in kids' ministry. Amen? Have them in kids' church. Have them in youth group. Have them in the school. So they learn the promises of God. If they don't know the promises of God, they can't claim the promises of God. Next thought. See, God's promises need to shine on your problems because when his promises shine on your problem your problem you know what it does it disappears and so the the thought here is you know promises promises thousands of promises right over 8,000 promises are there for us yes all of them are true and God will see that they are fulfilled in the life of the faithful believer and they will be fulfilled in time Once you make Jesus Lord of your life, your Savior, all the promises of God are in him. Yes, and in him. Amen. That's 2 Corinthians 1.20. In his grand design, he has purpose. You will never face any negative situation without a promise powerful enough to push you through the problem to sure victory. That's a good quote. I got to say that again. You ready? Listen. In his grand design... He has purpose you will never face any negative situation without a promise powerful enough to push you through the problem to sure victory. Man, I hope we get a hold of that and grab a hold of that. See, we need to proclaim that there's nothing that we face in this life that that we can't face without a promise shining light on the problem to help us through it and even to dissolve it. So, you know, question, why do we need to know this? Why do we need to know that God's promises are for you and I? They're for us today. They haven't faded away. They are still relevant. They are still true. He will still fulfill them, and he will still be there to make sure they happen. He has the power to make sure the promise is fulfilled. So why do we need to know this? Well, if you don't know the promises of God, then you don't know who you are and what he would and will do for you. You know, we live today in, I think, a biblically illiterate society. People don't read their Bibles. They may have Bibles. They have them sitting on their shelf, but it's kind of like my piano here. It's a little dusty, and, they, and the dust is all over it. 
But with God, the promises are there for us to read them, to discover them, to internalize them, and to claim them. And I'm not talking name it and claim it. I'm talking properly claiming the promises of God the Father. They'll change your life. They'll give you joy in a journey. And you need to know they're there for you. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to claim the promises of God, and we need to believe that he will honor his word and what he says. Our problems, God's promises. Which one are you going to focus on? I used to have a bumper sticker on one of my trucks. It was years ago. And it used to say this. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Do you believe that? If God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Doesn't matter what my circumstances look like, doesn't matter what I'm going through, doesn't matter what the president's doing, doesn't matter what the Senate's doing, doesn't matter what anybody's doing, doesn't matter what they're doing in the state of Illinois. What matters is if God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. And I stand and follow his promises. And I stand on his word. And then lastly, why do we need to do this? Why do we need to believe in the promises of God? So we know who we are in Jesus Christ. So you know who your identity is. Your identity is found in Jesus Christ. You are a son of God. You belong to God. You are his children, his heirs. You have his power, his ability. You have the Holy Spirit to empower you to live beyond the evil desires of this world, as it's said in our text in Peter. We can live above the evil desires and the evilness of this world with Jesus. He has a destiny planned for us. He will help us fulfill it with his promises and his backing and his power. His divine nature is behind every single promise in Scripture. And most important, when you see and hear and understand his many promises, you see God wants a personal relationship with you. And he actually wants to help you out every day. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand as we're going to close today. We know one of his greatest promises, promise on us, Jesus Christ, amen, which is what we celebrate, the birth of Jesus this time of year. But I really want to challenge you this year as we go through the Christmas season, find joy through his promises. Get your Bible, start looking at them, look them up, look up promises. You can go online and type in the promises of God. You can get list upon list and just start reading them through. It will encourage you. It will uplift you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your promises. I thank you that you fulfill every promise, that you empower every promise, that you're here for us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you promise to give us strength, Lord, to go through no matter what it is we're facing in life, Lord. You promise to meet and supply our needs according to your riches and glory. You promise to meet our financial needs. You promise to be there for us in the times of grief and trouble and trials and tribulations. But Lord, I pray that we would really believe that today. And I pray that we would embrace that today, Lord. And Lord, I know there are those here today that need your presence to speak to them, need your Holy Spirit to speak to them. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage them today with your promise. And I ask this in Jesus' holy name. And the word, and everybody said, 
Amen. Well, we're going to open up the altar for prayer. If you'd like prayer, uh, please come on up. We'll have some of my Sockham students come up. Uh, they'll be willing to pray for you. Kathy and I will be down here to pray for you in front. The rest of you, God bless you. Don't forget about Tuesday night. Bring your kids out too if you want. Uh, for the comedy night, it's going to be a great time on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. God bless you. We have one more thing that we need to do. Why? Tomorrow <laughs> is Pastor Mike's 60th birthday. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so we should sing happy birthday. Can we do that today? All right, let's sing it together. Happy birthday. Thank you. All right, God bless you. And we turn this thing off. Looking back from the other side I can see now with open eyes Darkest water and deepest pain I wouldn't trade it for anything 
Cause my brokenness brought me to you And these wounds are a story you'll use So I'm thankful for the scars Cause without them Just give me Jesus. Jesus. 
my dreams, my plans. This house I built on troubled sand. If I gained the world, it would never be. It could never be enough. Just give me Jesus.
churches filled with fire and hate how do you let them stand up and preach it in But he brought me in Oh, his love for me Oh, his love for me Who the sun sets free Oh, is free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I Yes, he died for me Who the sun sets 
Can't wrap my mind around it The way you see me like gold You stand in my mess And call out the best in me When my mind gets crowded With the lies that I'm told You tell me the truth And show me that you believe in me Show me who you are, so I know who I am. 